So hello and welcome to Phoenix Talk Radio, the voice of the rise, where we bring you news and reviews, discussion and debate about the art scene in California's Central Valley. I'm Andrew Burkham, and this week, my friend Rob Hypes is back in the studio with me. Say hi, Rob. I'm back. I'm so excited to be back. I'm sorry I was gone, but it was an amazing show last week, so I'm not that sorry. It was, it was in fact, a very good show last week. If you didn't get an opportunity to check out last week's episode, uh, since Rob was out of town, I had a guest host with me. One, Ms. Catherine Zagoni of Prospect Theater Project here in Modesto, California. And she was, she was lovely. She was great. Yeah, she was really insightful. I really liked the points that she was making. You guys had some really good banter. I was slightly jealous while I was <laughs> listening to it. And, uh, I'm, I'm okay now. I'm over it now. It's okay. Good. I'm glad. I'm My glad. feelings are no longer hurt. I'm glad to hear that. I'm very <laughs> glad. We were going to originally just cancel the show and just give it up. But then Catherine, she stepped in and saved the day. Yeah. So just, Not just one day. Just cancel the whole thing. Just yeah. never do another yeah, show the ever done. again. Just done. Three episodes and we're out. We're out. Yes. Uh, to that point, if you're watching us live, if you're listening to us, we have had to seek out some different hosting situations for the podcast. It seems we have outgrown our SoundCloud hosting. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they only give you so much for free, as it turns out. And that's three hours. And so we were going to have to end the show at three episodes. So we are on an interim solution for the time being. Your best bet if you're listening on an Android device is to find us on Stitcher. So if you go to Stitcher.com. You search for Phoenix Talk Radio, you should be able to find us there. We're also listed with Google Play, with Google Music, uh, but it's impossible to find anything in there. <laughs> so, so I highly recommend Stitcher Radio. Uh, I'd say it's a great way to listen to podcasts and a, a good way to listen to this podcast. So, uh, moving on. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been a whole week. What's, what's been, what's been going on in your world in the last week, Robert Hypes? Well, uh, staying busy, staying active. I, you know, I went to Vegas, uh, for a few days. Right. And, uh, I kind of searched out the art scene at the various blackjack tables and poker rooms <laughs> in Vegas. So that, that was interesting. I didn't find a lot of art, but I found a lot of interesting people. So it you, was good. You know, we could do actually probably a whole episode on just just art in Vegas, right? Yeah. Because really, there there is an art or there's an artistic bent to that whole town. If if you to if you walk outside, because I I stay uh, downtown. I stay downtown Vegas. Right. Uh, when you walk outside, you are surrounded by all sorts of different art forms. Just different art forms that are incredibly interesting, weird, scary. Uh, they make you feel uncomfortable. Just all the feelings all at once. I think uh, Catherine put it best last week on the show when she called theater the world's second oldest profession. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the world's first oldest profession uh, is one of the many art forms you will find on the streets of, of Las Vegas, as I recall. Yes, I remember. So I walked out of one of the casinos and immediately uh, was uh, one of those statue guys. Yes. Right? Statue guy. On his bike, absolutely frozen. Continue walking. Then there's like some random guy just drumming on like a plastic bucket. Uh, then uh, followed by, I don't know how to explain it other than there was like a woman 
dressed in like a devil's outfit, a very skimpy devil's out- outfit, sitting next to another woman that looked like Mother Teresa as a stripper. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know. And then right after that, you know, two guys playing like violin music and they're really, really good. And then, you know, they have an entire crowd and, and that's, that's walking downtown Vegas right now. You just walk out and immediately are surrounded by just literally anything you can think of at any point in time. Well, there you go. And I think, uh, I think, you know, we could make a, a definite argument for that as, uh, you know, as being, being an art form. Absolutely. Itself. It's all art. It's all art. It's all art. <laughs> so. <laughs> very strange weird art oh boy oh boy so yeah so that's uh that's that's good stuff and i know you've got uh we've got a couple other projects in the hopper right now we'll talk about those in another segment but for now i think it's time to uh to discuss our topic of the week absolutely topic of the week i heard somebody say this the other night and we talk about it a lot but it, it's something i want to quantify and it's something that i want to uh, talk a little bit more about and what i want to talk about is Gorilla Theater. Uh, what is it? What's good about it? What's bad about it? What does it take to make it work? Hmm. Well, for me, the the definition is theater that happens anywhere, mm-hmm. anytime, and some sort of venue, and it doesn't go by the established rules of what you would normally see with, you know, theater takes place in a theater. There's six weeks of rehearsal. There's, you know, you're going through all the traditional motifs that happen whenever you do any type of theater in the world the gorilla theater is more like it's more in your face immediate theater is happening and uh, it's occurring like in vegas just on the street somewhere and it's happening right in front of your eyes so so does this have its do you think it's got its roots in in street theater specifically or like street performance is the, is it tied directly into that or is that just a branch of it i think i think it is kind of tied into street performance i think uh, you know, in the happening, you know, the happenings, when was mm-hmm. the, the happenings like right after the, you know, advent of absurd theater when, you know, the fourth wall started breaking down and then mm-hmm. people were kind of concentrating these ideas of uh, happenings where theater just happened and mm-hmm. it happened everywhere and anywhere. And, you know, you were just kind of kind of taken off guard, taken aback mm-hmm. by what was going on in front of you. So I, I think it does kind of have its origins in kind of street theater and also, you know, even like going all the way back, like the, you know, theater that was originally like even some of the Commedia dell'arte mm-hmm. uh, way back when where theater was happening on the on the street, if you will. Uh, you know, the puppet shows, the 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 um uh performances like just done amongst the people the masses mm-hmm. theater done in front of the masses rather than theater done for the upper crust the elite that right. was happening in the the major fancier theaters so that's interesting if you if you tie it into some of the kind of the social and the class background of theater and the different the different tiers of performance right what we would consider to be quote unquote high art as compared to street art or you know public art things that were performed for for the common man that kind of goes back to some of the founding principles right is that uh, is is that we us at least with the phoenix creative collective we're really looking to be in front of the common man not just the not just the traditional theater or the traditional art audience right yeah absolutely uh you know art is for everyone right and i think sometimes with that where that idea gets lost is sometimes people think that there's a certain quality or amount of money that you need to have to go, you know, right. to go see a, a show, to go, you know, go to a, an art gallery, go, go watch 
a uh, live performance of a band, uh, uh, a symphony. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the major focuses that we have moving forward is including everyone into this idea that anyone can both participate and witness art. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of our, our major founding goals that we had was that we wanted to be able to do art for everyone and make it affordable for everyone to see. Absolutely. What are some of the pros and cons of doing kind of a, a guerrilla style theater? One of the things that I see as a characteristic of, of guerrilla style theater is the ability to get something up and on its feet very quickly, right? And so Catherine and I talked rather extensively about this last week, right? What it takes to be able to build some level of immediacy into the, the modern theater scene. And so I, I think that's one of the hallmarks of this style of theater is the ability to just go at the, at the drop of a hat. And I think that's a huge pro from the standpoint that it's always fresh, it's always relevant in the moment, and it's exciting and engaging in a, a way that is different to modern audiences. They don't get to see a lot of this. On the back half of that, on uh, in the cons, it really you've got to have actors who are trained or naturally talented in that to to stage it. I think you've got to have people who are able to think and and perform on their feet, right? Because uh, sometimes, in some in some cases, we don't know we're going to go into something until maybe a few days beforehand, right? So the traditional rehearsal process is is kind of kicked completely out the door because it's just like, hey, we have an idea. Let's get this out there. Let's go with it. And so you've got to have performers and actors and artists who are capable of creating art without having a whole ton of rehearsal time, right? And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of uh, the quick going back to the quick exposure thing that yeah. that we're going to be talking more about later. But the quick exposure concept is one that says, hey, you have a limited amount of time to produce art, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of uh, what was fascinating about that concept and, and doing that concept. And I do agree. I think I think guerrilla theater does go off of kind of a very limited rehearsal schedule. I do think some things are lost depending on the type of uh, performance, the type of show that you're trying to produce. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you don't you don't have the time to work with the performers to really develop something that has a vibrancy and a life by getting those same actors in a room together with mm-hmm. really investigating the roles and the characters and finding those moments and really, really taking a piece, taking it entirely apart, working, you know, bit by bit, and then slowly kind of putting it all back together as one really cohesive form. What I find a lot of times is with guerrilla theater, sometimes it doesn't have a chance to be cohesive. True. Sometimes you have seven different things happening all at once, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it's really, really good. And sometimes it's really, really mediocre. <laughs> right. And sometimes it's really, really bad. <laughs> right. But I do think there's a place for it. I do think the idea that we kind of – we all get kind of caught up in the ideas of, you know, this is how much time it takes to do this. This is how we do these certain things. And I think just by doing little moments of like guerrilla theater, I think kind of really kind of breaks up the norm of everything. and makes mm-hmm. things really, like you said, immediate. Mm-hmm. It makes things really lively, really, you know – really puts you into that time that you're in and that group that you are with and you're one unit moving forward and then you just kind of create something. And it's like a, you know, it's like a flash. It's a flash of fire and then ashes. Right. To to use a metaphor. To use a metaphor. (laughs) For the founding organizations, it's just burn it to the ground and then something new will come up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And what have, what are your experiences that you've had uh, with guerrilla theater? Like, how does it as a performer? Mm-hmm. Like, how does it feel as a performer? It, as as a performer, I really I really like it. But again, that goes back to some of you know some of my previous experience in the theater and some of my previous experience in the like the performance art scene when I was younger. And this is the kind of stuff that I we would just happen all the time. And I would kind of walk into the middle of it. And sometimes you were a participant, and sometimes you were an audience, just you know by virtue of whatever was going on at the time. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I really like about this concept is that it continues. And I, I say this every week. This will probably be on my tombstone, but it continues the process of blurring the line between the audience and the what's going on, in this, on, the, on the stage. And so the life of the audience and the life of the stage really become almost one thing. And that's what I find most interesting ab- about it, that real-time response that you get from an audience and then in many cases the ability to adapt on the basis of that you know of of that real-time feedback we did a murder mystery uh, a couple of weeks back Mm -hmm. we've got another one coming up but we did one a couple of weeks back it was a wild west you know uh the big big melodramatic type murder mystery for for a birthday party and we discovered very quickly that the life of that piece was in the interaction with the audience right absolutely yeah, everything didn't quite click until we uh, really started interacting with the audience and drawing them in personally, like making like connections to people sitting there. And once once we started doing that, the, everything else just kind of kind of really picked up and became really fun. I think sometimes the ideas of murder mysteries kind of get like a bad rap mm-hmm. a little bit because there's people are like, well, that's not really art. Like, there's no there's no emotion and gravitas there. Where's the gravitas? Right. But as a performer, was really, really fun to be able to connect with an audience member, mm-hmm. actually have them react to your character, like yeah. just physically sometimes, physically, emotionally react to your character, and then establishing that relationship not only with the other performers on stage, but actual individual audience members. That was really fun. That was yeah. really fascinating. And I find that some of these art forms, like like we had talked about, like murder mysteries, even mm-hmm. you guys were talking about improv right. uh, last week. I think sometimes those art forms get a bad rap almost or that we feel that we can't incorporate elements of a murder mystery or improv into actual what we call legitimate art. Because when I was trained uh, in improv, the idea with improv was the number one rule for us was it doesn't have to be funny. Mm-hmm. It just has to be an honest communication between you and the partner the partners that you're with on on stage right so very often when we were really delving into kind of the improv techniques and you know doing scenes very often the scenes weren't funny and sometimes they became incredibly serious Mm -hmm. you know and sometimes it became really dramatic Mm -hmm. because we were we weren't you know worried about trying to be the guys from the improv shows you know trying to make everyone laugh i mean that that does have its place of course yeah absolutely we were just trying to learn the techniques and the basics of improv and just be able to create with our partners, our scene partners on, on stage. And it was really fascinating. And I always think that you could do an improv show that is strictly a dramatic show or a tragic show. Mm-hmm. I think because uh, all of the basics that you learn in improv work in any genre and style of theater whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I talked about it last week as a preparation technique for an actor, which I, I find to be extremely helpful. But yeah, I've been, I've been involved in those, in those sessions where things have gotten 
maybe a little darker, a little more serious. And it's really interesting. It's it's something that I don't think most modern audiences have seen any place. I don't think most people have any experience with it. And I, I'm it's it's inter- when when it inevitably happens, it will be interested interesting to see how our audiences in this area react to that kind of thing. I mean, there's always a with uh, there's always a certain amount of truth with uh, scenes and improv because you don't have a lot to pull from. Mm-hmm. That's improv. You don't have it. You know, you're not going through exposition. You're not going through backstory. You're not spending hours and hours of your time, you know, researching and mm-hmm. talking to fellow people. Be like, oh, so what, what do you think happened when I was 15 years old? I feel like something horrible happened to me. So you find that when you're just honestly creating with your scene partners, that it's a certain amount of truth comes mm-hmm. out from yourself. And that's, I think, always the most interesting performances even in you know what we call legitimate theater is I always like to pull truthfulness from the actors that mm-hmm. kind of are there with the character as well. And I like to see kind of a little bit of truthfulness come out in performances that you won't find anywhere else. And that's why I think theater is an incredible art form because you're going to find a certain amount of truth mm-hmm. to everything. And there's no facade to it. There's there's It's just there. It's raw. And the actor is dealing with it on stage, which is incredible to watch. And the audience is interpreting it dealing with it as well so right well and here's an interesting pathway to walk down with that it makes me think about something that's become extremely popular within the last probably five years and that is the advent of live streamed role-playing games like like dnd live streamed yeah where you've got you've got a couple of shows that make a ton of money and have thousands of viewers on a weekly basis you know your critical roles you're the Penny Arcade guys do um, the acquisitions incorporated the C team. And then you'll have thousands of people show up in these in these huge halls at the PAX events and places like that to watch just watch these people do this live. I mean, it's essentially improvisation on on a different on a different scale. And it a lot of times it, it does get really serious. It's got aspects of both comedy and drama. So I guess maybe considering the popularity of that. Maybe audiences are a little more primed for this kind of thing, or at least certain audiences are more primed for it than I had thought about in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the interesting things about, you know, hearing those podcasts and seeing those kind of, you know, web series, because uh, you kind of, it's, it's basically just theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's theater of the oh, mind. Yeah. I mean, it's really, that's all it is. It's theater of the mind. And uh, it's constructing like fully formed, fully fleshed out characters and having those characters make decisions. And so I, I'm not surprised at all that people are, you know, they tune in and they listen and they watch this because it, mm-hmm. it's it's legitimate drama and comedy all happening. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, you know, you're not paying extra money to go to the movie theater to see stuff that you would rather see. You know, right. better, basically, you're going to see better writing kind of listening to these podcasts than when you, you know, go see like, you know. Yeah. Hollywood movies today. <laughs> when I think about that, we're talking about a session. So I guess let's let's just take Critical Role as as an example. They do a live stream on Twitch, and that is a four to five hour session every Thursday night. And they have thousands of people that tune in and that stay tuned in throughout the entirety of the broadcast, right? And then more people like me. I'm I'm 
I'm always recording my own show on Thursday night, yeah. <laughs> so I'm so, I'm sorry, Matthew Mercer. I don't have time to watch your show for four hours. No, I I, I love those guys. They're all the cool thing about those guys is they're actually all trained uh, trained actors. Yeah. So they're all they're primarily in the um in in the voice acting fields, uh, but they are all trained actors and voice actors. By the way, in case you're wondering, they are they are actors. We do not uh, we do not they are legitimate actors. Yeah, we do not discriminate on this show. Uh, between voice actors, quote unquote, and and actors, they're they're legitimate actors, but the audience I think swings a little bit younger, mm-hmm. right? Than uh, obviously than me, I'm I'm old, but just younger in general. Do you think that has more to do with now when we're talking in the larger context of of improvisational theater that's got both dramatic and comedic elements that's character driven? Do you think that younger audience? It's more for them about it's more because they're young, or do you think it has more to do with the game for them? I I think the older audience hasn't discovered that something like Twitch exists. There is that, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea. Right, right. They're they're still you know in the you know basement watching their friends play D anD D just on the couch. True, you know, listening and watching them because they don't they haven't discovered that that aspect of the computers. Yeah. Of of the computers, yeah, uh, the computers, the internets, the, the internets, right? Uh, I'm not sure whether you know. I'm not sure if it, if if they're skewing younger. I'm not sure if maybe just generationally, it just mm. it's more accepting. It's more, you know, that's how they're getting more of their entertainment. You know, web based entertainment, anyways. How they're kind of doing everything, and mm-hmm. generally speaking, the older generation. You know, we still, you know, I still read books. Like I still read hard copy books. <laughs> I, I cannot read like you know. Somebody bought me a Kindle. I forget who it was. Like a, a year ago, two years ago, I, I forget. I think it's in my garage somewhere. A very well-meaning person. Gave yeah, me a Kindle. like, well, you just years. keep buying lots of books. I'm like, well, right. I just I need the hard. I just <laughs> I need the book smell in oh, order man. to to do things. So, I love it. So I always kind of that's how I picture everything. Is like I'm like, well, you know, I don't really watch a lot of entertainment like on the on the intranet. On the inter- yeah, right, the intranet. It's interesting. And I think that it's something that we'll have to continue to examine, right? Because there is our upcoming audience. This is the way that they consume media. And so the question is, how do we interface with that? Uh, I guess in other news, the, the Phoenix uh, Twitch channel will be up any, any Absolutely. Day. Yeah. yeah. We're going to start a Twitch channel We're going to start a Twitch yeah. channel now. Yeah. We need better a better camera than my iPhone for that. <laughs> got to get a better camera. <laughs> Just going to keep starting random channels, yeah. like in all, all sorts of, yeah. all, all sorts of veins. Absolutely. Why not? Yeah. Why not? I was, yeah, full time full time media producer yeah. for Phoenix. That's good. Yeah, I approve. Um, if anyone has any uh, ideas for our uh, you know, for our Twitch shows right. shows on our Twitch, let us know. Yeah, uh, we'd be happy to have your ideas. Yeah. Well, so it, I'll throw it to you guys. If you were going to watch the the Phoenix Creative Collective crew and and family, right? It's yeah. an extended family. It's not just you know. It's not just the the whatever. Uh, if you would if you would like to watch a show. That was streamed live on a weekly basis from Phoenix. What would that look like to you? Like, what, how would you conception that? So if you're listening to this after the fact, if you are watching it now and you've got something, throw it in there. If you think of a great idea at some point, uh, just email those to phoenixccmerced at gmail.com. Again, phoenixccmerced at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and, and direct message us. I would be very interested to hear. What you would like to see from a group that does what we do in real time streamed over the internet. Well, I think that's some good discussion around that. 
Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's take a trip around the valley. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's time for Around the Valley. Everything that's going on in the art scene in Central Valley, California, and beyond. Uh, more accurately, everything that anybody tells me about that's going on. <laughs> that's so, the new title. Yeah, exactly. So if you have something you'd like featured in this segment, please make sure that you, uh, you hit me up on Facebook. You can find the Phoenix Podcast Network, uh, by searching on Facebook book for at pod uh, no at podcast phoenix or on twitter at podcast phoenix you can of course always email us at phoenixccmerced at gmail.com or email the podcast at phoenix podcast network at gmail.com we are open to anything we will whatever you got we will plug it we will plug the heck out of it and we're going to start this week by plugging something we're going to start this week with as michael hewitt my good friend put it a hair plug it's a hair plug that hair we're going to start with this week because we're going to plug Stockton Civic Theater Presents Hair from the website. Celebrate the 50-year anniversary of this groundbreaking musical. SCT will take you back to the age of Aquarius with the American tribal love rock musical Hair. It has been 50 years since the hippies and their shining, gleaming, streaming, flaxen, waxen locks invaded Broadway. Created during the Vietnam War and sexual revolution of the late 60s, Many of the songs became anthems of the counterculture peace movement and inspired a whole generation to make love, not war. The outrageous staging, dress, language, and social commentary are as relevant, unsettling, and exciting as they were in 1968. Enjoy the psychedelic, groovy trip back. Hair is rated R for nudity, adult language, sexuality, drug use, and violence. It runs, runs September 5th through 30th. Ticket info at sctlivetheater.com or box office at 209-473-2424. Rob, tell me about your love affair with hair. Um, you know, I've never seen hair. What? I've never seen hair. Are you serious? Yeah. I know huh? one song. I know one song from hair. Is it that? Is it the hair song? I know two songs from hair. <laughs> the Aquarius one and then, and then hair, yeah. And I oh, know pe- the age of Aquarius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know people are naked. Yeah, yeah. That's a thing that happens. Storyline, no. I don't know. I don't know storyline. I, I really am unfamiliar with hair. How interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you know, you should go see it at the Stockton Civic Theater. I should. I should. <laughs> it closes the 30th of this month. Second, Stanislaus State Theater Department producing Under Milk Wood. Now, as I understand, this is Stan State Theater Department's first production for fall of 2018. I know that because I stole it from their website. Uh, Stan State presents Under Milkwood by Dylan Thomas. Share in the dreams and innermost thoughts of the inhabitants of a small Welsh fishing village. Then join them in their daily lives, delightfully humorous and introspective, directed by none other than John Muir. And that runs October 4th through 14th. What I will tell you about that show is that I have not seen it. Under Milkwood. But what I have seen, or I've actually participated in, was another piece that was by Dylan Thomas, and it's called A Child's Christmas in Wales. Mm-hmm. And we did this with the Prospect Theater Project, with the PTP Radio Cavalcade Players, I think, two Christmases ago. And Dylan Thomas's language alone is worth just going and listening. It doesn't, it doesn't matter even almost if this has a story of any kind. No, absolutely. The language is definitely worth And... Uh, from my understanding, having read a little bit about the play, it is similar in that it is kind of slices of life of all of the different characters that are involved, and there are some really interesting 
some really interesting character types. So it sounds like something that is something I would I would really like to see. No, I was talking to John about it, and he was telling me a little bit about it. And I don't want to kind of spoil it for anyone, but yeah, the dialogue just it's beautiful. the The words are beautiful. I thought about you immediately once uh, kind of John talked to me a little bit. I'm like, this is something I think Andrew's really going to enjoy. Mm-hmm. It's just right up your it's just right up your alley. I mean, since you you know enjoy writing so much and you've really been getting more into the the live theatrical shows, mm-hmm. I think it's something that definitely you should go see. And the cast looks really really good it's the first show that they have i think i don't i think it is the first show that they've had for the school year mm-hmm. so it's got a really strong cast uh john mayer's a great director mm-hmm. and uh, i think it's gonna be a really interesting show and then i love i love their um tech staff up there i love oh, yeah. i love the the technical work that they do for all the shows that they have going up there so everything i always see is really professional looking just the sets costumes always look gorgeous mm-hmm. i think the costume manager uh janetta turner mm-hmm. um who I know very well is just a wonderful costume designer, just really spot on. She does incredible work. So yeah. uh, the pedigree of the show is awesome. I encourage everyone to go see it, even if you're unfamiliar with the title. But uh, the words, it's it's lyrical, it's beautiful, it's haunting. It's it, it's uh, it's going to be a great show. Yeah, it it will be. And again, you talk about Stan State Theater Department. You talk about one of the kind of the unsung treasures of the Central Valley. This is this is a department that consistently turns out in, incredible work and great students. I've known many of them throughout the years, and I'm always very impressed with the, the quality of people. Absolutely. So that runs, again, October 4th through 14th. You can get ticket information at csustand.edu. Oh, there's another thing. This was also originally written as a radio drama, I read, and then was adapted later for the stage. And that's, uh, that's very much in John's kind of wheelhouse, too, right? Because he, he was... He was the first one who brought the uh, the wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yeah, yeah. radio radio play to the to the valley, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody did. it I don't think anybody was doing it at the time, and then that's something that yeah, John took and then been doing it everywhere. Uh, but yeah, sounds sounds good. I want to see that one. Go see it. Get out and see it. Next up, quick exposure, uh, Mark Two. Right, so the second quick, I don't, I don't know. How yeah, Mark, Mark two. Are we numbering these things? Or are we just calling it quick exposure? Just it, quick exposure. Is there a, a is there a subtitle? The quick exposure, the reckoning, the reckoning. <laughs> quick exposure. In Armageddon. A, in, a, in a world where exposures are quick. <laughs> <laughs> this is a so quick exposure is our our series where we um, encourage collaborations uh, between. Uh, local artists and different art forms. Mm-hmm. So in July, we uh, held a quick exposure uh, between uh, local photographers mm-hmm. and spoken word artists. And so what happened was they had 24 hours. And so they went, they got a, a prompt. Uh, they, the photographers went, they took pictures and then those pictures then were turned into the uh, spoken word artists. And then those spoken word artists had six hours to come up with an original um, poem or mm-hmm. original uh, a poem and so it was kind of an interesting process to kind of encourage these two groups to kind of work together and, and kind of see you know how it started and how we ended up it was a really interesting evening so we decided we're going to do it again on october 13th mm-hmm. uh right now we just put out the call this this time uh we're giving six days because uh, oh. yeah this quick exposure is we're going to combine um singer songwriters mm-hmm. choreographers and dance groups i love it so the idea that we've created is we're going to get everyone together the mm-hmm. Monday before. 
Uh, we're going to give them the prompt and then the singer songwriters sing singer songwriters bands they have three days to create an original work mm-hmm. then that original work then gets transferred over to the um, dancers dance groups choreographers to stage uh, an original dance piece with that with that music that's incredible yeah. I, I mean it's I love this concept of taking two two separate art forms and and putting them together. It worked so effectively with the the poetry and photography that that we saw the first time. I cannot wait to see what comes out of this. Uh, if people want information about that, so if people are interested in jumping on board, I think the call is just opening up now, right? Yeah, just opened up today. You can email us, go to our Facebook, Instagram. You can go to our Twitter, leave us a message. We'll get in contact with you. And uh, we, yeah, we generally are trying to get everybody involved that would be interested to be involved. So that's quick exposure. Again, you can contact us on Facebook or at uh, phoenixccmerced at gmail.com if you're interested in being involved in that. It's going to be amazing. Next up, uh, so Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, as we all know, is a, is a thing that happens around Halloween every time of year. Not every time of year, around the Halloween time of year, specifically. I got a little more information about this last week. So the Showbiz Theater, it's it's run by Kevin and Elizabeth Costello. Uh, Kevin was the most recent artistic director at Stockton Civic. The theater itself is a small venue. It seats about 85. So think about, you know, like Prospect here in town. Cabaret-style seating which is is cool. That's awesome because we don't have much of that yeah, right. in this area either. It's it, He says it's even more amazing for Rocky because what makes that so different is the participation. And he's never had the a- audience actively try so hard to make him break on stage before. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's really cool because in that show, which is all about participation, right? That's what that show thrives on. When you have your audience that close, it makes it that much more participatory. He says, I always warn people Rocky is dirty. But if the audience does their job right, then it is downright filthy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's super fun. Uh, that is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. We're going to get more about this. He promised me kind of more releases on a, on a weekly, monthly basis as we get closer. And we're actually going to do an interview with James as well right right before they open. That is one of those shows that you should just be in the live audience one time. Yep, once it's, in your life. There's a certain energy, electricity that just goes through that entire audience, and it's just it's really kind of amazing to watch. So, mm-hmm. so if you've never been, if you're in that area, you've never been to Rocky Horror, just go see it. Uh, you will not, you will not be dismayed. You you will not be discouraged by you know what you see. It's a lot of fun. Next up, I had a little something here. This is something I don't, I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called Murder at Five. 10? Mm-hmm. Murder at 510. Murder at 510. What's what's that all about? Well, we are partnering with the Boys and Girls Club of Merced County to produce an original murder mystery at 510 Bistro on September 18th. Uh, we've kind of been we're collaborating with them. We wrote an original work just for their fundraiser. It's one of their it's one of their fundraisers for the year. All proceeds go to the Boys and Girls Club uh, for their continued their continued programming just helping out the youth of Merced County and you know it's they do fantastic work there. Uh, I know several of the board members and the executive director, and they're they're so committed to their mission and so committed to just helping out the youth in, in this in the Merced County area. It's nice that we have the opportunity to partner with them with an original murder mystery piece. So it works just like a regular murder mystery. There's dinner, 
There's the show, there's dessert, and then you, the audience, get to decide on who you think the killer is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's going to be fun, I think. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got just a great cast of characters that are going to be out there, and, and by characters, I mean not just the characters that are written in the show, but the actors themselves. <laughs> they're some of my favorite people to play with, because they're just, uh, they're very capable of the ridiculous which uh, which I think this this piece calls for. It so does. It's gonna be... Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous, and it's been a lot of fun to rehearse thus far. And I think people really should, you know, go to support Boys and Girls Club, stay and have a really good time and see some really funny entertainment. But definitely, you know, they're, they're it's one of their fundraisers. So you know, go go support them if you have the opportunity. If you're free on you know Tuesday, just go there, purchase a ticket, and really support the the kids in Merced County. And the last thing that I'm going to plug is Yankee Tavern, which opens at the Prospect Theater Project tomorrow night. That's on Friday. It's going to run through the 30th of this month as well. It is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday shows. Uh, the Sunday is a matinee. The final Sunday, there's a talk back with the actors and the, the um, production team afterwards. This show, and again, I was able to visit today and, and to take a look at the, at the set and this show not only is going to look beautiful, but I'm really excited. After talking with Michael Hewitt a little bit about it last week, I have no idea what's going to go on in this show. <laughs> I cannot wait to see what actually happens because it sounds so there, amazing. There's a certain mystique happening right now that that just really I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to see it because I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I had I had never heard of it before this. Uh, I, you know, I, so I don't I don't know how common it is. But I had never heard of it before, which isn't necessarily saying anything. I'm not as well-read probably as I should be, but I don't know. I just think, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be really good. And not only that, more importantly, this weekend, you got to take advantage of this. This is their opening weekend sale. So they have a buy one, get one free sale. So if you buy one ticket at regular price, then you get a ticket for free, right? Uh, for any one of their opening weekend performances. And so you can go to their... Uh, Go to their ticket sales online, and you enter the the discount code is PTP Bogo. So PTP B O G O at checkout, and you can save. Again, that is shows uh, between the 14th and 30th. The regular shows are it says 8 p.m., but I believe it is actually 7:30 p.m. now, and then 2 p.m. on the Sundays. And there's actually a Thursday show as well on the 27th. So for whatever reason, you're not able to make it out. Uh, on, you know, on a Friday, Saturday or Sunday, it's nice that they've got that. I, that's, I love that they do this and I wish more. And we, we've been decent about it, right? We've, yeah. we've thrown some stuff on Thursdays, but I wish more theater. And I know that it's probably not the most profitable thing, but I wish there was more theater on weekdays because having, you know, put in, you know, 10 plus years in retail, it is, it is a lot of time hard for working people to get out during the weekends. Yeah. And so it's nice for them to be able to see some of this stuff too. Uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. So that's all we've got going on around the Valley this weekend. Uh, we are going to go to our interview this week. So we will see you all on the other side of the break. All right, so we're on the line right now with, with Al Day, a friend of ours, and a not only a fellow artist and actor, but a fellow podcaster. How are you doing, Al? Doing pretty good tonight. How are you fellas doing? Good. It's been fun thus far. You have your own podcast that we want to let our audience know uh, know about. So talk to us about what your podcast is, what, what you're doing, and uh, 
tell us all about it. So the podcast that I am co-host of with my best friend from college, Andy Zomerman, is the Dueling Disney Podcast. So it's a podcast all about all things Disney. Uh, she and I met in college, and the way we met is because we both thought we knew everything there was to know about Disney, and one of us was right. Uh, and I will <laughs> share to the listeners that the one who was right is the one who's talking to you on the phone right now. She may disagree. Uh, we've been friends for – oh. College was a long time ago, and we've been having the same argument since 1988. And uh, so we said, why not take it to the Internet? Uh, and so what we do on the podcast is we'll pick a topic and debate it a little bit. So, you know, Disney World versus Disneyland or uh, what's the best ride in the park uh, or more interestingly, what's the worst ride in the park, which is an episode we've got coming up. And the truth of the matter is we end up agreeing more than we disagree, but it's a whole lot of fun. Uh, and it, it allows me to get my Disney nerd, uh, uh, credibility up because my comic book nerd credibility is pretty high and I need to match it with my Disney nerd credibility. I love it, man. That's outstanding. Uh, I mean, I'm a huge Disney fan myself too. I, uh, my wife and I lived in Orange County for a number of years in Fullerton. So we were just north of Anaheim and we spend a ton of time in the parks. And so your podcast is when I found out about it a little bit ago, uh, I, you know, I, told my wife about it and, and it's it's right up our alley it's outstanding stuff it's really interesting to listen to really compelling and and yeah you guys uh you you, you both you both know a lot about disney that's that's pretty cool yeah it's probably why i'm single at 49 years old but <laughs> it's it's uh i i think it's good and and like you i lived in orange county for a little bit and for those folks who've ever lived anywhere near orange county disneyland is kind of your local park and, you know, everybody gets an annual passport and you just kind of and I used to say you people go, are you get do you get tired of it? I said, you know, if you're bored on a Thursday night, what do you do? Go wander around Target. I used to go wander around Disneyland, get a churro and ride a uh, Space Mountain and then go home. That's a pretty hard uh, uh, even Thursday evening to beat. Right. And so where did this start? Where Where did your love of Disney start? You know, it's an interesting story because I think for me personally, uh, when I was a kid, I, I remember specifically, I was, as as uh, you probably know, Rob, a huge, and still am a huge comic book nerd. And so there was a little movie out called Superman the Movie that my mom took me to. And my mom was a lovely woman who very much allowed for my passions, but she's also a practical woman. And so we went to see Superman the Movie in 1978. And we got to the theater and there was a line that stretched around the theater and all the way around back. And she said, I'm not going to see that. Let's go see something else. And then we went and saw Pinocchio. Now, let me tell you, I was incredibly disappointed not to see Superman the movie, which I didn't get a chance to see in the theaters until 1980, by the way. But seeing Pinocchio instead, I fell in love with Pinocchio. I still find Pinocchio is one of my absolute favorite movies. And then it just sort of grew from there. You know, like most kids... I, you know, like whatever Disney movies and the wonderful world of Disney that came on TV. That's, I think, pretty much every kid in the United States. But because I am an obsessive, uh, as I got older, other kids just sort of said, yes, that's a thing I like. I went to the library and read everything I could get my hands on on Walt Disney and Disneyland and the parks and the the animators. And I, I remember at 13 reading the uh, um, the textbook that they gave to animators, The Art of Illusion on Disney Animation. And I couldn't draw a lick, but I knew what uh, all the principles of animation were. And I knew Walt Disney's life history. Um, and uh, because I am an obsessive, I went from zero to 60. 
and uh, became a Disney obsessive and, and has just continued unabated since then. Uh, and there is a team of psychiatrists that would probably like to talk to me. About. <laughs> see, see, that's that's interesting uh, because so my first real experience with Disney was for my birthday. My mom uh, took a group of my friends and I to see Bambi. Uh, and then, and, and then, then you held your mom for the next three years. And didn't let her go well, then, well, then right, right. You know, as you know, Bambi's mom, uh, dies, uh, there's spoiler, a, spoiler sorry, spoiler for those of you that haven't seen Bambi yet. I'm sorry. Since 1940. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, and then there was a tornado that hit, uh, <laughs> Nebraska. Uh, so we sped home after I was already pretty heartbroken by just <laughs> what I just saw. And so then we spent the rest of the day in a basement, uh, for the tornado to go over. And then I, the next week, uh, my mom brings home a movie, a Disney movie, and it's like, Hey, I really want to, you know, watch this as a family. We're like, great. And it's old yeller. Holy smokes. Oh, no. <laughs> so th- those wow. were the earliest memories that I really have of, of, of my Disney experience, Bambi and old yeller. So uh, you relate Disney to horrifying trauma and the loss of a loved one. Yeah, absolutely. Every time. Every Disney movie I see, I'm just like, all right, who's going now? Who's who's, who's, who's leaving? Going now? Oh, gosh, that's the worst <laughs> night of all time. That has got to be the world's most depressing double feature. <laughs> right? 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 Good grief. <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about your uh, arts experience. You've always been a bit advocate of the arts. You you perform. You've directed a little bit. You've written a lot uh, about what you see. I mean, you are a huge presence in the Central Valley uh, when when you were here because I know you're up at Berkeley now. But tell us what you see as the art scene in the Central Valley. You know, I I, I love the art scene in the Central Valley. Now I'm a Merced native. You know, I I'm born and raised. In uh, Merced, California, I grew up on Child's Avenue, right, uh, until I was 18, and, and I've also lived there as an adult. And the thing I'll say about the arts, and uh, I'll talk about the arts in general, but specifically the arts in the Valley. Arts, you know, I'm a practical guy, and I'm a pragmatic guy, but I also live in a world full of practical and pragmatic people. And the arts, in a very real way, have consistently been a way for me to get a little out of some of the some of the hard parts of my life and there have been times in my life where the arts particularly the arts in merced county have have really i I think in no uncertain terms saved my life you know i i've always had sort of an artistic bent and an artistic mind but i was also the first person in my family to go away to college so when i went away to college my idea was that i was going to be an artist so i went to study radio tv and film uh, and then when I got out of college, I was like, I'd like to actually get a job with a regular paycheck. And, and so I didn't, uh, so really, right. I know it's, it's, it's a, uh, I'm a, a foolish life. So I didn't really engage arts as much as I sort of had dreamed and wanted. And it wasn't until sort of, I was older and was, uh, I'd always sort of kept a hand in and always tried to express myself artistically, but it wasn't until I was older and, and spending some time I was, I was working, uh, back at home in Merced and, and started to get involved in community theater that I really sort of opened up this this component of my life to be involved in the arts. Um, and it in every way you can imagine saved my life. I cannot it's you know, I can mark my life as before I really got involved in the arts, particularly performing and and, and directing and writing and, and my time after I cannot 
you know, I can't imagine a world anymore where I don't have some involvement. But more importantly, I can't imagine a world in which it doesn't exist, even though when I was a kid, there wasn't much in the way of arts in Merced. You know, I I was a kid in Merced in the 70s and 80s. And if there was an art scene there, I didn't know how to get to it. Um, It was just me wandering around Main Street trying to find uh, nudie magazines in the liquor stores. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I I would have loved to have been involved in in theater or in music, even though I didn't have a musical, uh, uh, particularly musical bent. Uh, that would have meant the world to me as a kid. Uh, and so to find it, even to find it as an adult and to really work with others and, and have a creative community um, and be involved with with other artist, artistic folks, I, I, I cannot express how much that means so much that I moved away from Merced about seven years ago and I still try to get involved in stuff that's going on in the art scene in Merced as much as I still can, which uh, e- even uh, now I've spent the last three weekends driving to Merced for <laughs> to be involved <laughs> for saboteur, uh, yeah, and for saboteur, and and I've I've I, I spend a great deal of time complaining about it, but I think everybody knows that I wouldn't do it if I if I didn't actually genuinely love love it and and want to be there. Let me ask you. Uh, a- a question because Andrew and I talk about this a lot and he can probably expand a little more on it because we talk a lot on this show about uh, how technology and as technology continues to grow and everything becomes so much more readily available on our smartphones and computers. Uh, how does the traditional arts, theatrical arts, how do they either combat that? How do they deal with the fact that People are spending more time with their technology and less time actually going to see uh, live art. You know, I I think about this quite a bit because I think there's a balance to the universe, as as the Jedi would have us believe. (laughs) And sort of or another way to say it is the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So as as technology has improved, right, it has brought art. And the arts to people in a way that you couldn't possibly do without without that technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are shows that I would have never seen, you know, that I go to a Fathom event and I've been bugging Rob to produce Merrily We Roll Along because I saw <laughs> the show on a Fathom event, which is really the only way you're going to see that particular Sondheim because nobody wants to put it on. Um, and so to a certain extent, I think the technology has has actually really supported the arts uh, because there's a lot of folks who don't live places where they have access to uh, live productions at the same time. I, I think it's, it's true and real that, that the value of what being in a room with people who are putting their hearts and souls into a performance, you can't translate that on. I don't care how big your new iPhone is. That doesn't translate. Uh, it doesn't translate. I don't care how big your, your TV screen is. There's nothing like being in a theater with performers who are giving you their energy and taking their energy from you. And it's it's one of those hoity-toity sort of artistic uh, ways of explaining things that before I got in, really involved in the arts, I used to think people were full of it. And then once I stood on stage and really drew energy from an, from an audience, I was like, oh, no, they're, they're telling the absolute truth. There's n- nothing like being in a room with performers. And there's nothing for performers like performing for for a live audience. Uh, so I, 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 I think that uh, there is a challenge 
for, for finding folks who weren't engaged in traditional uh, uh, live performance. But I'm also a big believer in the idea that then we need to just get better because if technology doesn't, if technology exists, it doesn't mean it inherently has a negative value. Are we incorporating the way people engage with the world in our productions? Are we writing shows that, that take into account uh, the way people engage with technology, um, whether that be as simple as, you know, I'm a writer and I, there's a lot of, I have so many half written and unwritten scripts. You could, you could, uh, probably fill a room with it. But as a writer, it makes me think, what, what am I writing about the world we live in as we relate to technology? Because it's been a tectonic shift in how people interact with each other with, with the, the new technological era we live in. That's one sort of way arts should be addressing it. Another is how are we incorporating technology? Uh, in my work, I do a lot of presentations. I, I work at a, a university and do a lot of presentations. And over the last few years, I've begun incorporating the most recent technology into my presentations as a way of interacting with the audience. If I'm presenting at a national conference, I will put together a hashtag and, and project a, a live tweet stream so that, you know, if I've got a hundred people in the room, I can really read what's going on in that room instantly because people are tweeting and I'm looking at it. So as artists, are we going to sit around in a room after a show where only we only sold out half the house and, and just complain to each other about how people don't want to see shows anymore because they're at home, you know, dealing with their technology. Or are we really thinking critically about, okay, how can we bring this technology into the artistic scene? How are we incorporating it? You know, art should, I won't say should, but one of the things art is really good at is reflecting the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is one in which technology, particularly communication technology, isn't going anywhere. So what are we doing to, to move the art forward? Uh, Shakespeare didn't write about uh, the iPhone because the iPhones didn't exist. You know, as much as I love Shakespeare, I don't think he's going to write a new show about the iPhone. So it's kind of up to you and me. <laughs> That's good. Let's get uh, let's get started on Uh-oh. on the iPhone. The iPhone show, no? The iPhone show? Sure we can get some uh, good sponsorship. Yeah, right. <laughs> or, like or at least a really good lawsuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so we've been talking today about the advent of like live streaming via Twitch, right? And how that's become a thing, and especially with the the Dungeons and Dragons live casts that are that are going out, your your critical <laughs> roles and so on that. A younger generation is being exposed really to uh, almost a, a live theater or certainly improvisational theater uh, in, a, in a different way because of those things. So the question that we've been asking, and I want to ask you this, Al, because we trust your input. What do you think that me and Rob, we're going to do, we want to do a live streaming Twitch show. What should our live streaming Twitch show be? Ah, that is a very good question. I, I, you know, I, it took me a while to sort of get into Twitch and I, I won't say I'm a hundred percent into it yet. The thing, but the thing that sort of first got me interested is I went to Comic-Con this year and there was a bunch of artists who told, who sort of told how they'll just set up a camera on their drawing board and, and create art while they're, they're, uh, 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 drawing and, and then, Award it to whoever's watching their Twitch. Mm-hmm. And because I'm cheap, I'm like, ooh, free art. Right. Uh, and so I, I think of a sort of what are the possibilities of that medium? And I, I have long thought of how do we, as, as artists, sort of pull in that energy of 
gaming because uh, I've I've gamed with folks and and Rob and I have gamed a, a lot and part of it is if other people I I've always thought you could you could put together one of those games just set people on the stage and people would pay to watch it because it's pretty hilarious sometimes uh, Rob knows particularly the the way I play <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> because I have as a as a role playing game player I have no interest in the ultimate goal of whatever the, the task is we're on. I play my character. And if my character doesn't want to go on the goal, I will play my character watching TV and eating a chili dog. I think, yeah, I think at one point we were gaming and, uh, Al at one point decided to do his taxes because <laughs> it was, it was spring. April was, was right April around 14. the, <laughs> that makes sense. Was right but, around the corner. You like, know, my character would be worried about taxes. Yeah. It's like, we're trying to defeat this ancient <laughs> evil. You're like, well, no, no one's going to do these taxes themselves, all right, guys? Sorry. There's only two things for sure in the universe, death and taxes, and the ancient evil will be here on Thursday. <laughs> and so, honestly, I, I, I think, and I, and I look at some of the podcasts I enjoy, and, I, and, I, and again, going to the earlier questions about how are we bringing sort of the latest into sort of where people live, live now, I think a Twitch stream uh, where it's just some really creative folks uh, 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 because in, in essence, you know what a role playing game, game is? It's a structured improv. That's all it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a structured improv. And if you've got a good mix of people, you put an eye towards casting the thing right. I would watch that thing every week. Yeah. I think it would be a blast. Um, and, and, and I think it goes, goes to casting and everybody sort of understanding what you're there to do. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, I, I think, that it's an untapped market. Um, you know, people sit around and watch other people play video games. Right. That amazes me. I can't even watch myself play a video game. <laughs> but, man, there's millionaires out there because they're like, hey, I'm pretty good at this game, so I'm going to throw this up on Twitch and we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, 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 the ability to sort of bring real talented performers into that space but also challenge those performers, you know, as as improv does is is really tremendous. So whatever you all come up with, uh, as long as it's after April 15th, I think it's going to be <laughs> perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I got I got one more for you. OK, so I'm going to I have a show uh, that goes up a little bit later. It's called it's, it's not really my show. It's Noel's show, but it's called Geeking Out, a Steal This Idea podcast. And I'm a professional geek, sure. Right, right, right. So I want to geek out with you for just a second here, uh, Al. Even even though I don't have Noel here with me, I think I'm still I think I'm still allowed. Uh, one of the things that's happened most recently in down at Disneyland, jumping back to the Disneyland track, is at Disney California Adventure, no longer Disney's. We've we've gotten rid of the apostrophe s on that, and I I can't seem to mentally do that. But there, I got it right for once. Um, so at Disney California Adventure, they just recently shuttered a, a, a Bugs World, right? Or a Bugs Land. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Which was the last remnant of the Bountiful Valley Farm area from when the park first the Central Valley it, area of Disney <laughs> California that, Exactly. So how do you feel about that? They have, they have now shuttered and basically taken out of a, a park that supposedly, and now I know that we've moved away from this theme over time, but really still, you, you know, in, in some kind of, in some kind of very high concept, 
this park is supposed to represent all of the different regions of California. They've cut the Central Valley out. How do you feel about it? You know, I am a Central Valley native, born and raised. I am also a huge Disney fan. I really enjoy most of Disney California Adventure. Um, and so my true, honest feeling about them cutting that area out is, yeah, I'm surprised it lasted as long. <laughs> <laughs> it is an area that's about farming. Right. And if you've grown up in a farm town mm-hmm. like I did, you know what's not that exciting? <laughs> farming. <laughs> I, I cannot believe it lasted as long as it did. And I'm weird. I'm one of those folks. I miss I miss the California Golden Dreams exhibit, which yes. nobody but me like. No. I yeah, I thought that was great, Whoopi too. Goldberg yeah. and the moving statues. I thought that thing was fantastic. Super cool. And so I'm not one of those people that's, that's like, bring on the new. I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. But the Bountiful Valley Farms, I remember the I went to Disney California Adventure pretty soon after it opened, and I found myself in that area, and I was like, seriously, I'm from here, and I don't want to see this. It, and I honestly think Disney, the Bountiful Valley Farms was basically, we ran out of money, and what do we do that we don't have to build something? Oh, here, <laughs> plant some corn. Um. Talk to me a little bit more just about the about podcasting, right? And what what brought you to podcasting? What made you want to want to want to jump into this world? Well, I tell you, I was actually I actually had a podcast very early on in the whole podcasting sort of uh, time. I think my podcast, if I recall correctly, my first podcast I I hosted was two thousand three. Wow, that's very if early. I recall correctly. Like very early. I did about 10 episodes. I kept checking my stats. I think maybe nine people listened to it. So I had one more episode than people listening. And so eventually I stopped. I, I, if I recall correctly, I think my last episode was my giving a rave review to the movie Superman Returns. That's how long <laughs> it was. And, uh, and I stand by that interview and I stand by that film. However, most recently, I mean, I love podcasts. I think it's become sort of my main mode of, of entertainment. I listen to podcasts, you know, on my hour commute to work and my hour commute home and, and the, a good chunk of the weekends. Um, I think it's an incredible uh, medium. I think it's a very intimate medium. I think it's an egalitarian medium in the sense that, you know, if you've got a microphone and a computer, you can put on a podcast. Um, and some of my favorite podcasts are the things that I would not even imagine I would be interested in. Uh, uh, this is this is pretty popular, but my favorite murder is just two funny women talking about murder. <laughs> yes. I, I am addicted to that thing. Um, you know, uh, all the way. You know, there's a million uh, comedy podcasts. Um, I, I think Serial uh, was a game changer when it came to podcasts, um, and S Town was a revolution. Um, and I just really, you know, I I, I love the arts. Um, my undergrad degree was in radio, TV, and film, and I feel like, you know, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a technology nut, and I, I honestly feel I'm, I'm a big believer in let's look f- towards tomorrow. I, I think podcast is sort of the great egalitarian sort of art form at this point because anybody can do it, and if it's good, it can compete with the best. Um, that's not to say there's not a lot of bad podcasts, but people don't find them. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I, I. And I find so many people interesting and fascinating. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a guy from the Central Valley of California 
Uh, and, and I just love the idea of, I want to hear stories of people whose lives are unfamiliar to my own. Um, and, and so podcasting is really, really terrific for that. And, and particularly for folks who have an artistic bent to really express themselves in a way with a low cost of entry, um, and in a way that is just about as free, uh, it, it is sort of the definition of freedom of speech because there's, there's no mediator between you and your audience other than the, uh, the 40 bucks you got to spend to, uh, get your podcast hosted. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Give us, give us a, a top five. What are your, what are the top five shows that now that aren't this one? We understand <laughs> the Phoenix Talk Radio probably tops your list. Uh, no, but seriously, give us, give us your just five shows. It doesn't have to be your top five. It's in, in no pressure, no particular order, but five shows that you like listening to, you know, whenever they come out. Okay. This is not difficult for me. I think limiting it to five. Is is good. I already I already listed my favorite murder, so I'm not going to count that. that. Doesn't count yeah, my five. No, no, no. You get five others. Okay. okay. So uh, the Judge John Hodgman podcast is fantastic, uh, and I've been listening to that one for a couple of years. But I also listened to his, to John Hodgman's audiobook, which was a revelation. Um, Savage Lovecast, uh, Dan Harmon's Sex Advice, or not Dan Harmon, Dan Savage's Sex Advice podcast is terrific and kind of saucy. Don't listen to it with your kids. <laughs> Um, uh, but you know, I, I, I need a great deal of sex advice and, and there it is. Uh, I also love, love, love pop culture happy hour from NPR. Uh, I've been listening to that for years. Uh, uh, the hosts are fantastic. And a few years ago, I actually got to go to a meetup with the host, uh, during Comic-Con in San Diego. And they were, if you can believe it, even, uh, nicer than, than you would think. Uh, I have also been listening recently to dumb people town with the Sklar brothers. Uh, and, and that is just a, a ridiculously funny podcast, but you know, I, I, I mentioned it before, but I got to give space. If you haven't listened to S town, you know, you, you haven't heard Shakespeare like it was meant to be played. <laughs> S town may be the greatest podcast I've ever heard. Um, and it's, it's a limited series. Uh, and when you hear it from the beginning to end, you'll know why you really can't go back to that particular. Well, but it tells a story, a true story in such a compelling way that I, I would love for somebody to make a better podcast than S-Town, but I don't know how anybody's going to beat it. Awesome. Very good. Well, Al, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing with us. That's, it's, it's been a great interview. Uh, but now, unfortunately for you, I'm afraid it's time for theater fights. <laughs> <laughs> So this week it can't be rent. Rob and I agree on that. that's true. No, no, no this is there's a specific way it works. Don't worry. Yeah. So the the, the way that this works is uh, this week it's we're gonna it's gonna be more of an art fight than a theater fight. Okay. okay? It's gonna be more of an art fight. And uh, well, it's, I mean, it's theater. It's I'm, we're just in general performing arts. Uh, this week the topic is going to be uh, are superhero films can they be considered to be art? Oh, okay. So now the way that this works is is this: uh, you get to decide which which side of that you're going to argue. So are you going to argue for superhero films as art or against? And then Rob has to has to argue the side. What no matter what he actually believes, he has to argue the side that you don't want to argue. 
Wow, that this is tough for me because I have a very, very strong opinion about this uh, as a as a dyed in the wool professional comic book nerd. But the 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 creative part of me wants to take the opposite view. But I think for the audience's sake, I will take the superhero films are art uh, uh, and just say the two words Black Panther and shut up for the rest of my time. <laughs> and, uh, there you go, uh, Rob. <laughs> We've, we've never had one go this way. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm, superhero films are not art. Uh, so this is, this is part of the fun of the process. Uh, I just have to go. Uh, so I, uh, I'm gonna start my argument saying that number one, I believe that comic books are art. I believe that superhero movies are spectacle. It's a circus. Uh, we don't generally classify the circus uh, as art. It's a entertainment. It's a kind of game based, but at no point would I ever describe it as being actual art. I'm, some of the films are entertaining. Some of the films I think rise above the idea of your, what you would call your typical, uh, Hollywood fair, your, ty- your typical Hollywood superhero film. But at the general, uh, end of the day, uh, they are just purely fluff. Uh, they, uh, won't stand the test of time. And I always use uh, art as, uh, for me personally, that art has to stand a litmus, a litmus test of being there for, uh, a certain period of time to be what you would call almost timeless. And I, again, I would argue that comic books are art. Comic book movies are just spectacle and meant to be watched and forgotten about. Well, and, and I think it's an important distinction to make because I think, Rob, you've conflated a couple things. And one is the concept, and this is a conflation a lot of folks do, is there's a distinction between superhero movies and comic book movies. And I would agree with you that comic books are, in fact, art. Uh, and But I would also say that superhero comics, which is a specific genre of comic, there are also horror comics and drama and nonfiction and all sorts of genres of comics. Uh, that have been translated into films. Uh, many that people don't know were comics before they were films. Uh, but I would also push to say, you know, the distinction you make between art, uh, versus spectacle, I think is, is a false distinction. Uh, that, and it's funny because I think the person who taught me this was you, that spectacle can be a part of art and an artistic decision. Uh, that something being spectacle does not make it inherently not art as much as it is a component of that art. But I would also say that a well-told superhero film, while spectacle is generally going to be expected to be a component of it, that if it has got artistic themes and an artistic art and a point of view, uh, that no matter how much the spectacle, art is present. Uh, the example I would use is... Uh, of course, Black Panther, and we've talked about it at, uh, at length, but Black Panther presented a, a very compelling tale about our modern world, and particularly as an African-American, discussed very real concerns that our community struggles with, particularly around uh, colonialism and its impact and uh, uh, the the idea of elitism and what responsibilities we have to each other as human beings, the, the thought of privilege. Uh, and, and what those of us with privilege have a responsibility to, uh, those of us without privilege. As a matter of fact, and this is one of the, the core beliefs I hold and why, 
uh, superheroes are so important to me. The core idea at, at the heart of superheroes, which is the core idea at the heart of Superman, who is the core idea at the heart of superheroes, is those of us with great privilege have a responsibility to use that privilege on behalf of those who don't have that privilege. That is the core idea at the heart of every superhero movie, every superhero comics. And if that's not art and if that's art, not art that moves. And that's not to say that there's not some terrible superhero movies. Uh, a couple of those X-Men movies I could have done. Like <laughs> but on the whole, all art has to do is to create an emotional response. And I would also argue that because of their popularity, I would say superhero movies, at least in the last 10 years, may be the art form that is creating the largest amount of emotional response in the largest amount of people and may be, quite frankly, the leading art form in popular culture in our current era. Rob, would you like to rebut? Of course I would like to rebut, Andrew. Thank you so much for allowing me. And while I do respect uh, the comments from my esteemed colleague <laughs> – who's very knowledgeable about both art and uh, comic books and superheroes in general. Again, I'm going to liken the idea of most of it, not just, not just the superhero film, but most Hollywood films in general. I, I'm going to go back to liken those ideas to the idea of the circus. The idea of, yeah, it's all well and good to see the, the trapeze artist almost fall and I have an emotional connection to that. Uh, but at the end of the day, when I leave the circus, it was just purely entertainment. There was no art about it whatsoever. Now you could argue that what they do, the trapeze artist, what they, what they do is art. Uh, the training that goes into it, uh, is art, but the idea of the circus itself, and I'm going likening all the way back to, uh, the twenties and thirties, the, the, the carnivals, uh, of your time, the bearded ladies, uh, it's all, which let's be clear, Rob is not completely unconnected with the superhero because that's where, uh, Joe Schuster got the idea for Superman's uniform was circus strongman. Go on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Al. Uh, but what I am, uh, Day comic book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but at the very end of the day, uh, while people were having emotional connection, emotional reactions to these, uh, circuses and, uh, carnivals and, uh, things that were happening around them, that was not true art being created. Uh, I don't think it's any denial to say that the superhero film is, is slowly just going out the door anyway. Uh, it's, uh, it's proved to have a, a minuscule impact on the world. Uh, people are kind of shying away now from uh, the idea of the superhero genre. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel bad for the comic books in general because I think it's going to have a negative effect on on the form I do feel as art as comic books. No one wants to see another uh, superhero movie. I wish that uh, Marvel would get it. I think DC already kind of understands. That's why they can't actually put out a good version uh, of their superheroes. <laughs> Uh, I'm so, so Rob, your argument is that, yeah, people really aren't seeing movies like uh, Avengers Infinity War, Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Is that is that your argument? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't feel uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like they've proved, uh, you know, again, once it it goes out there, uh, it's just past people's head. They forget that it came out. Like, does anyone remember seeing Wonder Woman? <laughs> I I would likely say uh, uh, yes. Is the answer to that particular question. <laughs> it is wonderful to hear Rob argue a point. 
that is, uh, he, 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 he can't even get to the end of the sentence because he doesn't believe it. <laughs> and I also know that the, the, the idea we haven't talked about, which is inherent in the, the whole concept, is this idea of artistic elitism, which I think Rob is very familiar with. And Rob is also very familiar with the idea that there are certain things that are considered high art and low art uh, is on its face a problematic idea, particularly when you keep in mind that the high art of today, Shakespeare's plays, were considered the low art of their time and were considered disreputable. Uh, 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 that, that being in the arts was a disreputable business uh, and that Shakespeare was not considered a high artist in his time. And let's also talk about Shakespeare and spectacle, because if spectacle is not a part of art, then you've got to cut about a third of Shakespeare's uh, canon just uh, right out of the uh, uh, consideration as art. Well, yeah, well, I understand. And you can also liken, uh, obviously, most of these superhero um, movies and most of the comics steal their stories directly from the works of Shakespeare. Uh, and, you know, just looking at the works of Shakespeare, you can see a lot of uh, influences on um, just the art form, the comic art, art form of today. Uh, what I will say is that I believe that my point could have been more easily made uh, if Black Panther hadn't come out. Um, <laughs> and also Wonder Woman to a degree. Um, I feel like it's been far enough along from the Batman uh, trilogy, the the Chris Nolan Batman trilogy, that people have forgotten that comic book movies can be really good. So instead, <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna have my closing argument say, yes, uh, the only true art is high art, and uh, superhero <laughs> movies are not high art. Uh, <laughs> incredibly compelling argument, Rob. Uh, Al, would you would you like to have the final word with a closing uh, with a closing statement? I, I, I all I can say is that I, uh, I I love that Rob had to take this particular point of view. Uh, I know how Rob feels about. Uh, elitism in the arts and i know how rob feels about uh the the idea of spectacle because i've seen enough of rob's directed shows um and i uh uh but in, in in a very in a very serious uh not super serious but uh the the idea of the superhero is one that's incredibly important to me and has meant a lot in my life and uh the idea that 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 i think is at the core of it which i think is not an, an idea that art is is almost uniquely suited to address is what does it mean to responsibly use great power uh, or to quote Stan Lee and Jack Kirby with great power comes great responsibility. And I, I, I was legally obligated to, to get that quote on. Yeah. <laughs> they make you do that now. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, they they mm -hmm. do. I get five bucks from uh, the Jack Kirby estate. Really? Oh man. That's... I, I, I concede the argument. I, I, I concede. <laughs> well, Al, uh, listen, if you're listening at home and you feel strongly that one or the other participant has acquitted themselves well, please feel free to uh, tweet us at Podcast Phoenix or uh, hit us up on Facebook at Podcast Phoenix. You can, of course, always email us at phoenixpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Al, thank you so much for coming on today with us. It's been it's been great to have you. It is my great pleasure. And Al, if people want to see, uh, if people want to listen to Dueling Disney, what's, what's the best places for them to locate that? 
you can just pop Dueling Disney into iTunes and it'll pop right up. We also have a website, DuelingDisney.com. We're also on Instagram and uh, Facebook and Twitter. So you can pretty much find us almost anywhere you go. And one other place that you, this is an official announcement. One other place oh, yeah. you will soon be able to find Dueling Disney. Dueling Disney is joining the Phoenix Podcast Network. We're very excited. Yeah, and so are we. So uh, you will also be able to find all the updates and the just kind of the latest the latest news and releases on the show just by following uh, Phoenix Podcast Network on, on Facebook and Twitter as well. So we are so excited to have a Disney show in our ranks and especially one that's as, as good and as well produced as, as yours, Al. So thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us and we look forward to the next stage of this adventure. Sounds good and look forward to it myself. And, uh, I uh, love this show and, uh, I can't wait to hear, uh, Rob fight somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks again for joining us this week on Phoenix Talk Radio. Phoenix Talk Radio is a production of the Phoenix Podcast Network, an affiliate of the Phoenix Creative Collective. You can connect with the Phoenix Creative Collective by emailing phoenixccmerced at gmail.com. You can find them online on Facebook and Twitter by searching at phoenixccmerced. The Phoenix Podcast Network offers a variety of shows like our scripted interactive audio drama, The Operation, launching later this month, and the Geeking Out, a Steal This Idea podcast starring Noel Chandler with me, Andrew Burkham, where each week we sit down and chat with one of the diverse citizens of the world and explore their unique experiences while spontaneously solving all of the world's problems. You can find the Phoenix Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter at Podcast Phoenix or email phoenixpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Get out there and make or experience some art this week. Hello, Operative. It's been a while since we received any contact from you. I have been taken into custody by an unidentified force and am currently being held against my will at an unknown location. Forty-six. Ninety-nine. One hundred and eleven. Please follow the instructions you have been given. Zero. 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 We will wait patiently, but whether the response comes today, tomorrow, or at a future time, it will come. And when it does, we will be prepared to respond. It's the operation, coming to the Phoenix Podcast Network in September. Each episode contains a mystery, and it's up to you to solve it. Listen to the operation, starting in September on the Phoenix Podcast Network.